Hi, you're listening to Single Steps, a podcast by Hatchaser Consulting. Inspired by Lao Tzu's, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. You'll be hosted by Ani as he meets Arvind Kartikesu. It's really nice to have the extremely charismatic, obviously very possible Arvind Kartikesu with us today. Arvind, so you had an awesome career, ex-MD of ASA Abloy for the ASEAN region, multiple leadership roles within Alstom, um, you know, and then worked across Singapore, Thailand. Uh, also, I think you're a pre- you're pretty manic on the skip ropes, man. I've seen I've seen I've seen you do some incredible stuff there too. Um, so thank you very much for spending time with us today um, and kind of you know walking us through your career and how you actually made the switch from HR into business. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, but before we even carry on, man, like uh, uh, what's the level of sanity you're keeping during the MCO, mate? Yeah, so uh, look, I think, you know, being locked down like this, uh, right. we get to spend a lot of time at home. Right. I think it's valuable to spend that time with uh, the family and, and having, you know, good time with the family. I mean, there's a lot of talk about uh, mental health during this time, and I don't understand what the big deal is. What I enjoy is having these deep, meaningful conversations at home. You know, just the other day, yesterday, I was having a conversation with my microwave oven and toaster. Fantastic, <laughs> deep stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. What were you guys talking about, man? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we're just ganging up on the on um, the washer and the dryer, you know? They're not operating <laughs> very well. So, you know, we've got right. just fractions in the house and, you know, we're just keeping it together. Yeah, look at that, man. Home politics at its best, right? <laughs> Yeah. It was, it's quite funny the other day. So you know how everybody's kind of like working out in their balconies, right? Um, so I've got a little balcony, which I can, you know, I've got a state-of-the-art gym there, right? Basically one kettlebell and a skipping rope. Um, and for the first time, I'm seeing a neighbor. I've not really seen my neighbor. So I was like, uh, hey, mate, way, way to go flattening the bellies while we flatten the curve. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and uh, he never spoke to me after that. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, I guess it's you're been, it's natural, been, you're a natural at social distancing. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. You know, thanks a lot for, for, for taking the time, Arvind. It's always a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, before we go into, you know, your fantastic career and how you drove that switch, um, what was early life like for you? All right. So, um, born in Penang, Malaysia. Uh, I love beautiful, beautiful place, beautiful island. I would encourage anybody to come and visit us after this lockdown. <laughs> uh, and um, spent the f- some early days of my life, not in Asia. I moved uh, to England at the ages right. of 8, 9 and 10. My father went to do his PhD in Leicester, England. And I think that formed, going to school in England formed a lot of my initial early perspective in life. Came back to Malaysia, continued secondary education, uh, and then uh, did my degree in human resource management. Did two years in Malaysia, one year back in England. Uh, and then came back in 1997 to start my working life. And Perfect time to come back, right? Perfect time, <laughs> right? In the middle of the financial crisis at that time. And, and here's a lesson in terms of networking, right? So when I got back and there was not many jobs out there, and I started to network with uh, my father's friends, some you know high post people, whichever contacts I could get in the business world. I tried my best for three, four months, nothing happened, even zero interviews. Then a friend of mine, I was, at, I was 21 at the time, a friend of mine who was 17, she said, hey, look, my auntie works in Hilton Hotel. 
Um, she's the front office manager in Hilton Hotel Kuala Lumpur. Go and have a chat with her. And so she made the introduction. I went and had a chat with my with, with her auntie. And lo and behold, what my first job, you know, the training, um, the training and personnel manager of nice. Hilton Hotel Kuala Lumpur, my first big break. So it just goes to show networking is, is something that is... It's key, huh? It's key. No matter what levels you're talking about, never underestimate the opportunities you can get by just networking. So that was my first job, Hilton Hotel, okay. moved on to Schindler Lift and Escalators, moved on to then Alstom, all this in human resource. And right. then very quickly made a switch into business process improvement and then right. PL management, right? Across Alstom, General Electric, and then after that, Asa Abloy. Well, when you made that switch, right, your HR into business improvement, uh, what, what inspired you to make that switch? You know, randomly one night you just woke up and said, hey, I'm done, done with HR, man. I don't want to deal with people anymore. <laughs> no, no, not that, not that. I don't think so. I think um, I've always been focused with regards to where I want to be in my career. And that is basically profit and loss management, right? Uh, profit and loss responsibility. And uh, the business process improvement was a stepping stone in, in doing that. So my motivation in life, my motivation up until now is two things, twofolds. One is dealing with people. I love dealing with people. The second one is making money whether it's for the organization or it's making money for, for me. It's good right? motivation, good passion to have. So that objective of getting to profit and loss management uh, was to uh, keep those two motivations alive. And, and that's what PNL management gives me, right? Awesome. And I mean, I guess to make a switch like this, you would have had to have you know some deep level inspiration. Some might even say a couple of role models. Um, so I guess this is a two part question. What inspired you to make that switch? And like, were there any role models that you wanted to emulate? Right, right, right. So I would say, let's start with the role models first. I think uh, the first person that comes to mind when I talk about role models is my dad. Um, and he at a very early age as well, he, he made switches in his career. He was uh, a Tamil news broadcaster in Radio Malaysia. And he switched to an education line as a professor in University of Science Malaysia. Very so cool. he made a, a very agile switch in terms of his career. He's been very geographically mobile as well. He he had worked in America. He had done. Uh, he had worked and studied in England, and so he had been very geographically mobile, and that was an inspiration for me. He had been always encouraging, uh, you know, being agile. So that's my dad, number one. Number two is I think uh, Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi from India. Uh, at the age of nine years old, um, I think this was 1984, sorry, I watched his movie, Gandhi. Um, and, and ben there Kingsley. Was, there you go, Ben Kingsley, great movie. And that really inspired me how this small, humble, unassuming man could lead millions towards the objective of independence, right? And so that, that uh, lit a match in me, that, that was so inspirational. And, I, and, you know, fun fact, I shared the same birthday as Gandhi as well. Ah, look at that, man. It's, it's meant to be. It's in the stars, I guess. Meant to be. <laughs> Gandhi has been a great role model. And I think finally, this modern day um, a person that I look up to is Lewis Hamilton in Formula One. Mm. Now, this guy is just a compulsive winner. Uh, yeah. Performance up. 
He has this hunger and appetite to win. He's a go-getter. And I think that inspires me. This is like a modern-day uh, role model for me to look after, I look up to. So those are the three people, man, that come to mind when I think about role models. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's funny how you mentioned, uh, I guess, obviously your dad, you guys, there's, a, there's a connection there with Gandhi. I mean, he, what he's done is phenomenal in terms of leading that movement. Um, and like you said, Lewis Hamilton, I think, with him, it's it's always kind of raising the bar, right? You know, he he never kind. Of, uh, I guess uh, it's never enough, right? It's never enough. And he's got a, he's got such a pivotal game plan, which I really think sets him up for success. Uh, which which I guess quite nicely leads into the next question I was going to ask is when you when you kind of decided that okay, I'm going to make this switch. Um, I'm pretty sure you had to kind of strategize and sort of figure out how I'm going to make this happen, right? What's the routine? What are some of the uh, aspects of reinventing myself? All right. Um, so, so what was that game plan for you? What was that strategy for you? Okay. So I think, um, you know, at an early age when you're 17, 18, you're just trying to see, you know, what, what is, what's your passion at that point in time? And I chose my degree and the degree was in human resource uh, because I, I knew at that early age, I wanted to deal with people. And um, it was either between dealing externally uh, in an organization or dealing internally. Generally, uh, could be sales and marketing, internally human resource. And I chose human resource and that started off like, I would say the first strategy, right, um, or building block. And then once you get into to working life, the objective changed a bit and then became this PNL sort of hunger to get into a PNL role. And so very quickly realizing that people skills alone is not going to cut it. So that's where I did my second thing, which was uh, an MBA in, in finance. Right. I knew numbers were going to be important and therefore I needed to get a, a good grip of numbers. So I did an MBA in finance. And then after that, realizing that that's just not enough. So people and finance, you still need to know products and processes within an organization. Absolutely. Uh, so you need that, and especially in organizations that I've dealt with, very technical products, technical processes, you need a deeper understanding. So when I had the opportunity to do a Six Sigma black belt in my company, at the time I grabbed that opportunity because it gave me a segway into products and processes. And so with that Six Sigma uh, black belt as well, that was another stepping stone. I think the final stepping stone is nothing to do with uh, experiences or courses. I think it's networking. It's about who you talk to and everybody you talk to needs to know that hunger to where you want to get to. And I just had conversations after conversations with people you know that that's where I want to get to, uh, P&L uh, management. So it is, it's, you know, you can be the best person in the world, the best fit for a particular job, but that doesn't mean anything if, if nobody knows who you are. So Absolutely. networking is, is huge and important. So I think that's the way I planned it out. And, and I, it, it, it's, it's funny how you, you circle back to the, the significance of networking and how it accelerates you know, your transition or even if it's your visibility, right? So, so here you were, you were doing your MBA in finance. Um, at the same point in time, you were you know, uh, collecting further experiences, doing your Six Sigma. How did that networking, I guess, really propel you into these roles? And what about that networking kind of maybe even smoothened your transition into some of these roles? Right. 
So networking, I think uh, it's about formal conversations and informal conversations. So you're putting in time, of course, at work uh, in those formal conversations. But outside of work as well, a te tarek, uh, a beer after work, uh, just a pop into an office and say how you're doing. And all this leads into all those kind of areas whereby people know that although you're formally looking and you're networking, you're informally putting in the time as well. All this builds into a person's perception of you. And perceptions counts for everything, really. Yeah? So I would say those, while you put in all those formal building blocks, the networking seems to be like the... Uh, so you've you got the bricks, but the networking forms the cement that seals the bricks together. And that makes that entire house that, sure. you, that you have, right? Um, for me, that's, that's the importance of networking and, and, and getting that stuff done. Right. Fair enough. Well, it's, it sounds like a lot of work to make a transition, right? I mean, because um, you hear a lot of a lot of you know different talents. You know, they they're probably uh, doing very well. They're they're in a good position. Let's just say you know they're maybe a vice president of finance, but then you know some some something just kind of says, hey, I I want to try something else. I want to try you know my hand at a different function or a different industry. But then there's always that kind of anxiety. Uh, associated with that venture, right? Because you don't know if you're going to have to, you know, endure a pay cut, you're going to have to endure a different kind of lifestyle in order to make this transition. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so the question that I had was when you, so you did all of this, you kind of reinvented yourself, but how did you kind of balance that personal life at the same point in time, ensuring that, you know, you're achieving all these things at work? Because it sounds like a lot of work for someone to do. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so, so how did how did that happen? Well, let's talk about first of all, as you say, that that fear, the anxiety that that people face, right? Hey, I faced all those fears, all those anxieties. I put myself out there, uh, and you know, although you know, you you, you did a very nice present, uh, let's say, introduction of the career that I've had, but it's not been all smooth sailing. Right. So let me give you just an example of a disappointment that I faced. Um, and this was in 2007, and I was I made the transition between human resource to process improvement. I was therefore the process improvement champion uh, for Southeast Asia at that time for my, my my company. And in 2007, the human resource director role, uh, so my bosses, my former bosses' role came vacant, moving up to a higher role. And this prestigious job, you know, the the member of the executive board. Uh, 500 people at that point in time in the organization came vacant. Sure. And here I was saying, I've done my time in human resource. Everybody in the organization knows me. I've put myself out there to learn the processes and the products and the business, you know. So I'm, I'm a much more uh, formed person right now. So I, I said, that's my job. I'm, I'm putting my name in the hat. So the company said, okay, look, but we have to uh, evaluate and we'll look at external candidates as well. So Aravind at that point said, okay, I'm going to do my networking. I went and started talking to all the stakeholders and uh, made known that I'm right for the job. So they did all the evaluation and guess what? They, they gave it to an external person. Right. And I was devastated. I was Knock devastated. Knockout because I tried my best and I'd done everything that I just told you to do, building blocks, networking. I did everything. Um, but... So I started looking out externally in the, you know, outside to find another job. I was so disappointed. 
but then my big break came about six months after that to get into PNL management, right? So there was a silver lining. But what did I learn? What did I learn from that, right? Number one was, let's talk about tactically what I did wrong. So I put myself out there, I networked, but I did not network enough with the two decision makers that were going to make a call there. One was a country president of the organization. One was a PNL, a large PNL holder. And although I'd interviewed with them and I'd made known, I did not do uh, a lot of informal networking. I did not do any much personal uh, interaction with them. I didn't do it enough. So I think that's my lesson learned. You can network as much as you want, but choose your priorities correctly. That's number one. Number two is, I, although I was devastated, I can tell you, man, you know, it was like the worst time in my career, I never let my professionalism or my performance drop. And that allowed me to get my second break, uh, which was mm. a PNL management role in Singapore. Mm. Now, when I reflect on that, had I let my professionalism dip and my performance drop, I would have never got that opportunity. So I think, you know, you just got to keep your chin up and, and keep going. Uh, the, the third thing I would say is, you know, setbacks <clears throat> gonna happen 100%. 100%. There's nobody out there that have got a perfect career without any disappointment. I think our job is just to stay the course, set your objectives, whatever you want. Understand that setbacks are going to happen. Take it on the chin, keep positive and just keep forging ahead. Right? There you go. I mean... Yeah, like you said, I think everybody endures that level of setbacks or failure, whatever you want to call it. But it's the it's the learnings that you take from these from these uh, experiences that kind of then allow you to bounce back up and deal with the adversity, right? But um, it's quite interesting how you said you did everything uh, that you thought was right, and you didn't, and you didn't end up in that position that you wanted to be in. Absolutely. Um, but I guess that happens, you know, you hear a lot more about the, sometimes I think you hear too much about the success stories and less of the failures yeah. uh, and, and what it takes to kind of get there, right? But was when, when you kind of went through that downtime, was there a particular kind of activity or something that you did to kind of ensure, you know, you had your eyes on the prize? Because um, at that point, it's easy to kind of fall in and, you know, kind of give up. But, you know, so what, what exactly do you think uh, you did, which kind of kept you going? Yeah, so I think uh, here's where uh, we all need help. Right. And um, I, I would say that, you know, no matter how confident you are, uh, and I'm a very confident person, there are going to be times whereby your confidence is rocked. And it's important to have confidence uh, near to you, right? People you can rely on. And um, I, I've maintained this from that experience throughout my career. So number one is, a person that you can confide in and talk to about anything. And that, number one, is my wife, right? So she's the tiger in the relationship. She, she bites my head off. <laughs> but yet, um, you know, I can confide in her in everything. And, and she's my number one sounding board. So you need a person that you can trust to be close by to talk about anything. Number two would be a person that keeps you positive. So... Um, in, in this day and age, uh, you know, it's easy to just get into a downward spiral with regards to negativity. You need a person that's always bubbly and cheerful and happy that it sort of bounces you up and keeps that perspective of positivity. All right. So I, I would recommend that second kind of person to keep close sure. by. The third person as well is equally important is the devil's advocate. 
the person that will challenge your thinking, the person that will give you a different perspective. You have, you've been born with a certain type of perspective which evolves through your experiences. But okay. this person who you, you should be able to trust will give you different perspective, something that you never thought about. I would say my bench is made up of those three sort of people. I uh, keep in touch with them regularly. So it, not just during disappointing times, but just keep regularly in touch. Uh, I see my wife almost every day, <laughs> but yet the Thank other- Thank God for that. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not so sure if I caught or not. Uh, but but the other two people, uh, I make sure I build in a rhythm with them. Every three months, we're either having a Skype call or a coffee or a beer. And not just to disappointing times, but also just to have a chat. Because that, again, gives you great perspective to just keep uh, a steady course. Yeah, I think the, the role of a sounding board, like you rightfully said, is extremely crucial in these times. Um, but, you know, like you said, you have you have someone who's a confidant, you have someone who, you know, you can bounce off ideas, someone who kind of cheers you up on your down days, and you have someone that's, you know, someone that can throw a punch or two and kind of be a sparring partner at the end of the day. Um, but how do you go about identifying who these folks are and, you know, building that sounding board in your career, what, what, what advice would you give to those who are trying to do the same? Right. I think uh, with me having now a career of almost 25 odd years, um, you build up your networks and therefore you identify who those, those trusted partners are going to be, trusted sounding board is going to be. For people who are still new in their careers and you may not have those kind of trusted uh, uh, connections, you know, ask for recommendations, ask from a friend of a friend who, you know, you could trust to give you those recommendations. There's a lot of, uh, I guess, social media, like LinkedIn as an example, where you can get out there and just identify people. And, and you'd be surprised uh, the amount of people that would be happy to, to be a coach for you, happy to be a mentor for you. Uh, and, and therefore support you in your career. I think it's, it's you because every human being is different. Uh, Everybody is going to have different chemistry with different people. So it's up to you to choose who you would, would be a, a good fit for, you know, uh, a good fit with. Yeah, that, uh, that, makes, that makes perfect sense. I think actually you're, you're right now. I mean, there's, there's actually a lot more access to, to individuals that can help you now with these different mediums it's easier to connect and digitally you're, you're able to kind of increase your visibility and footprint absolutely, um, absolutely. makes perfect sense absolutely. um Arvid, thank you so much for sharing such valuable insights you know i really appreciate it and i think it's good for different people now to kind of have access to uh, the likes of information such as this because i guess today everybody's going through some kind of uncertainty and some people are just scared to kind of you know uh, open up to their vulnerabilities but in, in some capacity, this I, I believe this would be extremely insightful. Yeah. Uh, but before I let you go, you know, back to your oven and your toaster, um, <laughs> what's the advice you would give someone that's, you know, looking to make that switch or, 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 or looking to kind of make that transition, especially in today's climate? Right, right. So I would say, um, first of all, reinventing yourself is not easy, right? I think reinventing takes some time, but you got to be... I guess having that objective in mind where you want to go, but putting those little small building blocks. And it is also changing habits and patterns. So I've spoken about those bricks, like uh, your degree, your MBA, the experience you get. 
But it's smaller things as well. For example, uh, subscribing to Bloomberg magazine, which keeps me up to date of what's happening in the world and trends that are happening. Uh, subscribing to the Time magazine and, and having a look at that. Setting an objective of reading a leadership book or a business book uh, every month. Now, you can set those objectives, you can make those subscriptions, but you're going to change your routine. And as an example, I spend a lot of time with my regional role. I spend a lot of time on the flights. Mm-hmm. And when you're on an aeroplane, what I used to do is I used to goof off a lot, watch a lot of movies, check out the stewardesses. Uh, but now... All good dis- things to do, huh? All good things. <laughs> now I discipline myself by making sure that half that flight, 50% of that flight, is meant for me reading up on those magazines and uh, reading the book. You got to change your routine. You got to discipline yourself. So I think that's number one. And uh, identify where you want to go and pulling, putting these small building blocks or big building blocks to plan it out. Okay. Uh, the final thing that I would say is, look, um, be brave. Be brave. Put yourself out there. If I had never put myself out there, I, I would have never have had this enriching. Uh, and fantastically fun career that I've, I've been through. And the journey is not stopping now. It's still going to continue, right? Um, so you've got to put yourself out there. And you've got to just understand that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So, so be brave. Be brave. I mean, that's my advice, man. Cool, man. Paul's wisdom right there. Um, and, and I guess on the contrary now, how would you kind of flip that, uh, flip that and sort of say, uh, to organizations that are hiring, you know, that are looking at talent. And uh, today when, you know, so much uncertainty is, is kind of looming, how how would they kind of look at talent from multiple backgrounds, you know, and different experiences? How should they approach hiring uh, in today's day and age? Sure. If you look at the world, and, and it's not just now, you look at yeah. 20 years back at the history of how much change we're going through, right? Uh, it's a constant change. And I think when you look at leadership uh, and the way I look at leadership in my corporations as well, is to look for people that have agility. Mm. So you want a person that is not just stuck to a particular career uh, and a career path. I mean, I think that's good. It gives you depth. But what the world is demanding for leadership right now is agility. Somebody that has skipped around in their careers and have seen different perspectives, right? I think that's number one. That's important. So I I would really encourage organizations to look at a CV and look look for agility. That's number one. Number two, my advice would be that uh, a CV, when you look at a CV, it is about what the person has done right in their career. It is uh, a great view of successes. What it doesn't give you is failures and how that pe- the person has dealt with failures. So we've got to find a way of having a conversation about what went wrong and how did you deal with that and, and how, did that, how did you turn that out? Uh, what was your personal feelings of it and how did that come through? I think uh, identifying failures is important. And I think it comes back to the fact that if a person has been agile with their career and moved a lot, they would have faced so many different predicaments in order to then forge a successful career. So a lot of failures as well. So I think look out for failures and how did people learn from that, as well as look out for agility. I think that's what I would ask corporations to look out for. Fantastic, man. Look out for failures, agility. Noted. There you uh, go. You. There you, um, go. you mentioned that you do a lot of reading, right? So I guess everyone's got a lot of time on their hands now. Everyone's at home or, I don't know, on back-to-back calls. 
Um, is there a particular book you would recommend, you know, for everyone to read to kind of keep them sane at this point? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think uh, one that comes to mind that I recently read was um, How Will You Measure Your Life? Okay, by, How Will You Measure Your Life? How Will You Measure Your Life by an author called Clayton Christensen. Okay. And so it gives you a great perspective of not just career, but on... Uh, that balance you just you know you asked about yeah. um, about life, uh, children, wife, hobbies, family, health, and then it goes into even um, uh, compliance and integrity. So it, it's a it's a great book that gives you perspective, right? In life, okay. I think there's another book that comes to mind, which is the Twenty One Lessons for the Twenty First Century. Uh, this author, I forget, is an Israeli author that gives you great perspective of what the future holds for us. Sure. Uh, it's an amazing book as well to just, you know, keep your mind active and thinking about what the future could hold. Um, so, so those two books I would highly recommend. What I'm watching right now is Ozark on Netflix. Ah, Netflix. That's it. So I'm a, I'm a sucker for these uh, mobster, uh, narco kind of uh, you know movies and and series, and so Ozark is is great as well. So man, I think that's good. Yeah, uh, thanks for that. I think it's it's always good to kind of uh, figure out some new reading material and also I guess binge worthy uh, uh, watching material. Uh, so yeah, thank you very and, much for that. And make sure you watch it with all your loved ones, right? So don't forget the toaster and the microwave oven. Yes, they make great yes, convenience. Yes, great I am going to again try, you know, having a conversation with my neighbor in the balcony this evening, but let's see. I think I'm really getting good at this social distancing game. I'm really, really getting good. <laughs> You're a natural. <laughs> natural, exactly. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Have a good one. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope this podcast can help in your learning journeys. Check us out on our LinkedIn page, Hatch Asia Consulting. Till next time, keep growing.